I think some of you have remembered to bring your book. If you didn't remember to bring it this week, bring it every other week. <laughs> um, if you haven't, you have got a, uh, the, the copy of the sermon outline. Uh, just a practical uh, element to it. Um, in the sermon outline in the book, there are gaps. Whether you want to fill the gaps in, it's entirely up to you or not. Um, but the idea would be to join in and fill the gaps in. Um, and just, there will be a presentation behind me, which there is. Which, have I clicked something? <laughs> Perhaps it didn't start from the beginning. How about that? Okay, right. Uh, when you see the presentation, there are words underlined, and those are the things that need to be filled in if you wish to fill them in. The Good Samaritan, a very familiar story. Um, and just to explain one other thing, uh, the script is not, I'm not reading a script that <laughs> just take off, I've prayed with God, and uh, uh, you obviously personalise with illustrations and things this morning. Anyway, The Good Samaritan, a very familiar story, and I'm really appreciative, Nick, of sharing a situation where, you know, he faced that very dilemma. Do I obey what the scripture tells me, or do I just go on my own sweet way? And praise God that he uh, decided to do something about that. The Good Samaritan, in one way, can be seen as an allegory of the journey of life. Because we're all on a journey of life. We've all experienced different things, and we hopefully have got other things to experience in the future. And here this guy is travelling down a road. He's travelling on his journey. And we're travelling on the journey of life. And as the travelling man experienced, people and life can just ambush you. Things happen. They beat you. They bruise you. They wound you. Even this week I was uh, talking to a friend when we were away for a few days' break, and he was in church leadership. And he has just retired recently. And he said, during his time in one particular church, he was wounded again and again and again in church. It's quite a sad thing to be. But we are wounded by all sorts of things. Things come out of the blue and hit us. And that's what happened to this poor travelling man. Robbers came out and they duffed him up. They beat him. And a question that often happens when things happen badly to us is, well, who's going to care for me? Who cares? You could say this was the unspoken thing that the man, the Samaritan, approached, the travelling man. Who's going to care for me? I'm battered, I'm broken. Then Jesus continued, a priest came down that road, likewise a Levite. And these men were churchgoers. In fact, it's quite likely that they have been on their way either to or from the temple when they came across the man. Perhaps they were too busy or preoccupied with church life to do anything about the bruised and battered man. Whatever their reason, they just passed by on the other side. And then a Samaritan came by, and Jesus said as he journeyed, he saw him, he went to him, and he was willing to engage his journey with the stricken traveller. When Jesus introduces the Samaritan here, it's almost as if he's lobbing a grenade into the story. Because in John 4 it says, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus knew that the Jews did not consider the Samaritans to be their neighbours. And in fact, Samaria is where the West Bank is today. It was like saying a member of the PLO or Hamas came by, in today's words. Yeah? A Jew. And the person from Hamas comes up and helps them. That's how shocking it is, really. It was so explosive when Jesus lobs in a Samaritan came along and helped the man. A Samaritan who was despised, rejected, scorned, was the one who reached out. And why did the Samaritan reach out? Simply because the priest and the Levite would not. They were indifferent and detached. Is it worth No, sorry. There we go. Indifferent and detached. Okay. They were indifferent and detached. And when they saw him, they passed by on the other side. And so they both walked by the hurting man. But this Samaritan had a completely different reaction. His was one of compassion and concern. He had compassion. Something inside him motivated him to stop and engage with the man in need. You see, he came over, got over that sense of rejection and unacceptance as he approached that man. He came alongside him. He journeyed with him and he helped him to an inn where he received more care. A guy called John MacArthur of Grace Community Church says in his commentary on Philippians, it is precisely the kind of assistance by the Good Samaritan who, after doing everything he could for the robbed, beaten stranger, journeyed with him and took care of him at the inn, promising to repay the cost. That is described by the New Testament Greek work paraklesis. This is an example of paraklesis. Um, in the introductions to this course, I've mentioned what paraclesis means. It comes from para-kaleo, yeah? to come alongside. That's the meaning of it, to come alongside. This is exactly what the Samaritan did, and the priest and the Levite didn't. And the core verse already, the verses which uh, Jackie already read, are all praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah. Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. And there's the word paraclesis in that. He comes alongside us, paracalio, when he could go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside, paracalio, someone else who is going through hard times, so that we can be there for that person, just as God was there for us. Five times in that passage... It's mentioned, paracalio. It's a sort of underline, 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 underline. It's mentioned. And it's repeated again four more times in further verses in the same thing. So paracalio, paraclesis, coming alongside, being there for someone to give help, aid, assistance, support and care. Traditionally, pastoral support and care in the church is somebody else's job. It's seen as the leader's job, the pastor's job, maybe even the pastoral team's job. One of my concerns when we uh, get a new pastor is that exactly the attitude we have. Ah, we've got a pastor, we've got a shepherd. It's his job to care. Yeah? It's always somebody else's job. But paraclesis is a ministry where it's one another are called to care. 
It's the body of Christ. God calls us to journeys together in life, and we need to come and reach out alongside other people. The church is uniquely designed to care. And one of the things we have to do is, first of all, develop a core value of care. That's really high in our priorities. I applaud this church for the welcome, generally, that it gives people. Yeah? That's why we're here, and other people will testify that you receive a loving welcome in this church. And there are the people completely outside pastoral care team. Lots of people in this church do care. Yeah? But I just want to raise it through this service. This is a really top priority, a core value of care. As you go through your daily guides, those of you who got it this week, the memory verse is a new commandment I give to one of you, that you love one another. Yeah? That's the memory verse this week. The act of paraclesis seems so good that we think it's exceptional. Because after all, Jesus didn't say the good Samaritan came along. He said a Samaritan came along. Just a regular old Samaritan. Nothing exceptional about him, nothing special, no special skills, just a regular Samaritan wandered in. We call it the good Samaritan because we think it's pretty exceptional what he did. But actually, he was just a regular guy. And that's what paraclesis means. Just us regular people, us ordinary people, coming alongside other ordinary people to be a supportive, helping presence. For the Samaritan, caring for others in this way was a core value. The antithesis of paraclesis is self-focused living. Just looking at your interests as Nick himself just testified to. Lots of reasons going through his head as to why he should just get on the train and come home. We've got our agendas. Just like the priest and Levite had agendas. They just wandered on. Something busy, something else to do. We're all instinctively looking after number one. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, it says, none of you should look out for your own interests but for the interests of others. So paraclesis is the opposite of self-focused living. It's other-centered living. Galatians 5 says, for everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. Somehow, the priest and the Levite missed it. For Jesus, love for God is expressed through loving our neighbor. In fact, in 1 John it says, if we don't love our neighbours, our friends, we can't say that we love God. Like the Samaritan, we need to continue to develop a core value of care. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. So how do we develop this core value? The first thing, really, is that we need to have awareness of other people's needs. This is going well. <laughs> It doesn't come naturally. We need to learn to read the signs and signals that other people send out. In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, a guy called Stephen Covey tells a story which I think is quite remarkable. He was travelling on the New York subway. 
some noisy, unruly kids got on. And their father followed and sat down next to Covey, the guy. Despite their inappropriate and rude behaviour, and the painfully uncomfortable atmosphere in the, uh, what they call them in America, I don't know what they call them, it's not the tube, what is it? I can't remember. Subway, there we go, Subway, well done. Despite their appropriate things, the father just sat there, unresponsive, not doing a thing about his kids. His eyes closed. Finally, Curvy couldn't cope enough. He said, right, okay, I'm going to confront this guy. And the guy opened his eyes, looked around at his kids, messing around, as if unaware of it, and responded, you're right. They shouldn't be running around unruly. I guess I should do something about it. I've just come from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think. I guess they don't know how to handle it either. This is an example of how our perceptions of people can be completely wrong. There's a guy with his eyes closed, kids running riot, and you think, what an awful father. He's just lost his wife. The kids have lost their mother. We need to reach out and engage with others. It's just so easy to judge on first appearances. Instead, we need to find out what is really going on in people's lives and just reach out with that care and understanding. Another thing we need to realize is this. People struggle far more than we realize. Today, you may shake hands with somebody who's falling apart at the seams inside. Never know it. Will Smith said, never underestimate the pain of a person because in all honesty, everyone is struggling. Some people are better at hiding it than others. Paracleo is an interesting word. It's a bit like a diamond. We've seen it actually um, five times in the uh, passage that was read. But throughout the six weeks, we're going to look at different angles of this word. You look at the diamond in different ways, it will sparkle in different ways. And the first one that we're going to look at today is parakaleo, to encourage. It says in uh, Hebrews, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. So coming alongside one another, helping one another in struggles and difficult times, Part of that is encouragement. The expression of affirmation verbally, non-verbally, or practically. Giving support and inspiration to someone on their journey. Lifting them up. Helping them to overcome a difficult time. Something we can all do. Every Sunday we need to be aware that people struggle more than we realise and get alongside them. As I speak, thousands of people are pounding the street of London. <laughs> Anyone ever done it? <laughs> what a task. People are running the London Marathon. Many of them are whom are raising money for good causes. And along the route, there are what? There are thousands of others. Yeah! There are bands playing. And you know what happens, doesn't it? Those elite runners, you know, two hours, ten minutes, whatever it is, they get through the tape, just breeze in the park, you know. Ten minutes later, they're all settled down again. 
But what about the fun runners raising this good money? Get to 10 miles. Get to 20 miles. And I can't go on. But people say, yeah, keep going, keep going. The church should also be a place where we cheer each other on and cheer each other up as well. The message reads the following in 1 Thessalonians 3. We sent Timothy to get you up and about, cheering you on, another use of parakaleo, so you wouldn't be discouraged by these hard times. There's just a longing in the human heart to be affirmed and encouraged. We should seize every opportunity to give encouragement. Encouragement, says uh, George Adams, is oxygen for the soul. Sometimes church can be in a discouraging place. One person said the biggest discouragements come from Christian friends. We have to ask ourselves, is our church encouraging? Am I personally contributing to the church with encouragement? I did speak about this, strangely enough, when I did the power of the tongue, and one of the uses was encouragement. This is just a different list, and we'll just go through them. So to encourage, you need to be willing to do a number of short things. So just quickly whiz through these. First of all, move out of your comfort zone. The Samaritan moved out of his comfort zone. He would quite happily gone past, but he chose to go against his rejection and go to something which he was not comfortable with, helping a Jew. Secondly, become a giver and not a getter. We can't truly love unless we're prepared to give and serve while expecting nothing in return. We start by giving encouragement and not looking for it. Acts 20 reminds us it's more blessed to give than to receive. Also, to give encouragement, you need to focus on how God cares for you. In 1 John 4.10 it says, This is love, not that we loved God, that he loved us. Do you know how much God cares for you? He cares for the person next to you the same way. You need to appreciate that. You need to know that he really does love and care you. So out of this understanding, we're able to care for and encourage others. The next thing is to be alert for opportunities. Develop sensitivity to the feelings and struggles of others. Encouragement is more an opportunity to be seized rather than one to be created. Again, in Philippians 2, not looking only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Some of you will know I've just been on a course in uh, Farnham Road Hospital um, entitled Introduction to Mental Health Issues in Pastoral and Spiritual Care. (laughs) It's a mouthful. (laughs) But a lot of the course was involved in Listening. Yeah? It's good to listen, isn't it? I'm one of those people who can easily talk more than listen. I'll even finish your sentences for you before you finished it. But you have to hold back and listen. Concentrate on someone. Give them your attention. A burden shared is a burden halved often. Giving time to listen is not only valuing the person, 
but I believe it also can be a healing experience for them. Yeah? So you can encourage by paying attention and being a good listener. And the other thing is, we're back to the power of the tongue, which I spoke about last time. Words do matter. Use positive words. Use words that bless, don't berate. Use words that heal, that don't hurt. Use words that build up and don't tear down. Use words of affirmation and not condemnation. And finally, all those tiny acts of kindness. Lots and lots of kindness things we can do. Make a phone call, drop a note, pay a visit, post a card, send some flowers. You've all done it, and you can continue to do it. But it's so much better just to do that, reach out in kindness. The translation of Galatians 6 in today's Living Bible says, Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. That's why whenever we can... We should always be kind to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers. It starts here, but it reaches out. So all this is part of developing a core value of care, like that of the Samaritan. However, there's a hurdle we need to overcome. In John Powell's book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? He came to the conclusion that people are, have an inherent fear of rejection and unacceptability. And he says, I'm afraid to tell you who I am, because if I tell you who I am, you may not like me. And that is all I have to give. People recoil and don't reach out very often to protect themselves going back to the friend that uh, had received a number of wounds in church leadership from a church he was leading at the time. He said, basically, he had scars from all that wounding. And now he's in a new situation. And he told, me, told Liz and I when we were there that what he does now to protect himself from receiving further wounds is he tends to withdraw back and not put himself forward and reach out to others because he doesn't want to get hurt. And so we need to face this core value of self-protection. Get rid of self-protection and replace it with the core value of care. I wonder if deep down you experience feelings of rejection and unacceptability that stop you connecting with others. The Samaritan who was despised overcame his feelings of rejection and unacceptability. Instead of protecting himself, he took the risk to come alongside another. Last week, we remembered Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus hung there, totally exposed, rejected, humiliated. Rejected by those he came to love. He wept over them because of their unrequited love. Out of those 12 people he drew to himself and spent three years with and gave his whole life to them, one doubted, one denied, one betrayed. And so even in his disciples, he was rejected. 
If you want to see rejection and unacceptability, just look at the cross. Jesus even cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a level of rejection from his heavenly Father. The depths of our rejection and unacceptability were taken on by Jesus Christ. Now we no longer have to live behind barriers and strategies of self-protection. And so the choice is ours. We can either be like the priest and Levite, remain detached, remain indifferent, hiding in our own agendas, busyness and rituals. Or will we be like the Samaritan? He could have stayed behind his barrier of rejection, but he didn't. Refusing to hide, he stepped out of his comfort zone, reached out, and these magic words, he came alongside, he journeyed together with the man in need, taking care of him and fulfilling the paraclesis ministry. God calls us to allow him to bring us to that point of becoming the love and compassion of Christ that reaches out not only to each other, but beyond the walls of this building and touches of the lives of those like this man in need. Because so many people out there are hurting and in need. In answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbour? The lawyer replied, the one who had mercy on him. And of course the challenge to all of us, the challenge to Nick this week, as he went past that person was, do I walk by or do I go and do likewise? Do I really care? the soul who goes to communion. Miss the soul who goes to communion. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Gosh, those were meaningful, relevant, great words, weren't they? Um, I wanted to quick, we, we're going to move straight into communion, which Brian very kindly has um, agreed to lead with today. Um, I was looking at my notebook, because I'm a good student. <laughs> And I thought of Nick and what he said, and this is on page 17. The first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? This is words of Martin Luther King. So we're now going to have a time of communion. Um, and this will be led by Brian. Uh, yes. Ready, Alice. come up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just a few words from Scripture. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And some words from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're invited to come together around this table as those who belong to the household of Christ, brothers and sisters who in our lives live out the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are the family of the reborn and the reconciled who inhabit a universe of grace. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So as those committed to the life of grace, let us hear the story of the first Lord's Supper. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit and the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Let's give thanks to God for the bread and the wine. Let us pray. Loving God, we praise and thank you for your love shown to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life and ministry, announcing the good news of your kingdom and demonstrating its power in the lifting of the downtrodden and the healing of the sick and the loving of the loveless. We thank you for his sacrificial death upon the cross, for the redemption of the world, and for your raising him to life again as a foretaste of the glory we shall share. We give you thanks for this bread and wine, symbols of our old world and signs of your transforming love. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that we may be renewed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and formed into his body. This we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. So Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me.
the same way he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. The wine will be distributed. Please keep the wine and then we'll drink all together at the end. Thank you. We are the body of Christ, and as one body, we drink this and remember that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. So, a final prayer of thanks. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. service. Thank you all for being part of today's service. Thank you to our magnificent band members, to John on the sound, to Ian. Pardon? 
Oh, uh, we're going to sit. Oh, so. Sorry. Poor Ian. Um, none of this happens if we don't all come together. And now we have coffee, which Ros and Brian do. We have a building. We have everybody has something to contribute. And for that, we need to praise God. Never think you have nothing you can offer. We all have something. So we're going to stand and sing one of my favorite songs. Yep, 10,000 Reasons. Yep. <laughs> um, thank you. Let's stand and sing. <laughs> 